prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we do thank you for your incredible love. Father, which loved us enough to send your son to do that for us, which we could not do for ourselves. For that gift of salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, the gift of eternal life, and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, we say thank you. And Lord, now we give this time to you as we open your word. Lord, this is your word. These are not my words. I pray, Lord, that you would empty me of myself. Lord, may we be filled with you. Lord, may we hear from you through the power of your Holy Spirit today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been sharing with you the last few weeks that uh, our vision here at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church is bringing faith to life. And to help better understand what that means and what it looks like in real time, I've been walking through each of our four core values, each of which is a step toward helping us bring our faith to life. And I'm doing that in a series throughout the spring called Fantastic Four for our four core values, Faith Unleashed. And we just finished a small three-week kind of mini-series, if you will, over our first core value, all of which start with a W. Do you remember what this first core value, this first W was? Man, I'm so glad y'all been here the last three weeks. (laughs) Worship God personally. Get that worship. Worship God personally. That each and every person that we would seek after, we would cultivate an intimate, growing relationship with Christ through the regular, consistent practice of spiritual disciplines. Well, this week, we're going to begin mini-series number two on our second core value, which is that we would walk with other believers. We worship God personally, and then we walk with other believers. Your relationship with God is personal. It is between you and God. But the greatest resource or help and source of encouragement you will find as you try to maintain a close, intimate relationship with Christ is a small group of believers who will journey with you through issues both of faith and life that you live here on this earth. It's a great help and a great resource that we all need. You see, relationships... And the fellowship that comes as a result of those relationships is a part of God's very own character and nature. Because the Bible tells us that God exists as the Trinity. Three separate yet equal parts who have eternally existed in perfect relationship and fellowship with one another. God is relational. And part of being created in God's own image means that we are relational as well. Do you remember the first thing from back in the Genesis account of creation that God said was not good? Remember the first thing God said was not good? That man was alone. God created the the universe and the, the earth and everything that's in it. Said it's good, it's good, it's good. He created man, said it was good. And then God said it's not good that he's alone. And so the Bible says that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And he took a rib and he created woman, Eve, to be a helpmate and a partner with him. God didn't want Adam to be alone. And that fundamental part of our existence hasn't changed. God created you to exist and to function in relationships 
with other people. Now, I have to be honest with you, as I, as I talk about the mini-series and how we're theming these, it wasn't a, as much a design feature as it just kind of came to be uh, as I was praying and discussing these series with the staff and stuff. But this mini-series is going to springboard from another popular television show. The last one came from the Extreme Makeover uh, show, and many of you have seen that, and we talked about that some the last few weeks. But this one, uh, I've entitled The Biggest Winner, which is taken from the show, The Biggest Loser. How many of you have seen an episode of The Biggest loser on television. All right, so you kind of know the concept. Uh, Overweight men and women come on the show and then compete to see who can lose the most weight over the course of the season, thus the title, The Biggest Loser. So the more I prayed about these sermons and then looked at some titles and and, uh, evaluated some stuff and looked at this show, a couple of episodes, and thought about things, uh, the more I saw some amazing parallels. And to be honest, I have just watched a few of the shows because as I'm sitting there watching The Biggest Loser, eating my chips and my ice cream and drinking my soda pop and stuff, there's a little you know, inner turmoil and dissonance that, that didn't go well. So I decided to drop the show instead of my eating habits, you know. So, uh, but, but I've seen that and I saw a few things from that show that I was like, man, th- those are some amazing things that we see these people do in our lives. And America's tuned in to watch. You've noticed these things if you watch much of that show. First of all, these people get away from their normal life and they unite with a new group of people who have a shared vision and a shared goal, which is losing weight. So so they get away from what's normal with a new group and they focus on a shared vision and goal. Secondly, they make changes to try and achieve these goals. Many of their changes come from their learning. They have to learn new diet habits and and new foods that are good for them and new exercise patterns and way to, to be active. So they have to learn things, but then they have to make these changes in their lives. Thirdly, we see these individuals battle themselves. I mean, their biggest hurdle in making these lifestyle changes lies within them. They have to learn and exercise self-discipline and self-control, which is not always easy if you've ever tried to change habits and patterns in your own life. But finally, these people have to learn to live and deal with other people. That They live in community and with this group and they learn all the group dynamics and relating to different people with different goals and different thoughts and ideas. And you know, it doesn't take us a whole lot of time to see the spiritual parallels that I'm going to point out to you. First, we need to take a break from the rat race of life to recharge our batteries. First of all, we need to recharge our batteries in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we've just talked about in working, uh, worshiping God personally, that we take time to connect with God daily or, or as often as we need to throughout the course of a day. So we need to take time to recharge our batteries and to connect with God. But we also need to take a break and get away from the hustle and bustle of life to be with other believers. To be around people who will pray and encourage and support us in our faith journey. And this isn't something that I just made up or that I saw on the television show. It comes from Jesus' life and ministry. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Luke writes this. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He doesn't say occasionally. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places 
and prayed. And sometimes Jesus left the masses. There were people clamoring at the door, people gathering all around, wanting to hear his teachings, wanting to see miracles and signs and wonders and all of these things. There were large crowds. And man, for us, if there's a crowd that wants us and wants to focus on us and be there, we're going to stop and we're going to talk to that crowd and minister to them. But Jesus said, nope, I need to go spend time with my father. And he left the masses and he went off to lonely places and he prayed. He spent that time with his father. But secondly, the Bible tells us that Jesus regularly took his disciples away from the crowd. The same thing. Sometimes the disciples are like, Lord, where are we going? Why are we leaving? The people want to hear you. This doesn't make sense. But Jesus said, we need to go. We need to be together. And Jesus took them away and he taught them and he poured his life into them. And we need time with people who understand the importance of seeking after the things of God in our lives. Because I'm going to tell you something. The world doesn't understand this need that we have for relationships and for focusing on our journey with Christ in life. The world doesn't care if you want to do those things or, or if that's a priority in your life. But we need to make those adjustments, and we need to spend that time with people. So we've got to make a break to get together with these people and focus on the same vision and goal in our life of seeking after the things of God. But secondly, as we learn from the show, we need to make changes in our lives to be transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. We have to make changes. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. But here's the deal. This is not a one and done type transformation. It is a process of being renewed constantly in Jesus Christ and doing away with this old self which tries to creep its way back into our lives of doing away with that and putting on the new self, putting on the armor of God through the Holy Spirit of God. So it's a continual process that we work at. Thirdly, just as in the show, as we talk about journeying through life with other believers, we find that we struggle with ourselves. We struggle with our old sin nature. And no passage of Scripture better describes this than Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. Paul said, I know in my mind what I should do, and I really want to do that. But I find myself doing that, which I've said I was not going to do again. It's this constant battle, this struggle of the flesh and the sin nature and being transformed and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can all identify with that, can we not? This struggle that wages within our flesh and, and within our bodies. And it helps so much to have a group of people who love us in spite of our struggles, who know those struggles. And we know that they struggle as well. And those people come alongside us and they help us in our times of weakness and our time of need. And we, in turn, help them in their time of weakness and struggle and in their times of need as well. Now, finally, just like the show, we have to learn to live and deal with people. If we're going to experience biblical community, we have to learn to live and deal with other people. You see, God has called his children, his church to be united. 
In John 17, Jesus is praying a very lengthy prayer in John 17 for a number of things. But in verses 20 through 23, Jesus prays specifically for a group of people. And he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. And the them he's referring to is the disciples because he's just prayed for the disciples. But he says, my prayer is not for the disciples alone. He says this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, who's that? I pray for those who will believe through their message. That's us. We're here because the disciples preached and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus prayed for us. And what does he pray? He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This relationship between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's unity within God himself. And Jesus said this would be the result of our oneness, of our unity. May they also be in us so that the world, the world may believe that you have sent me. And the end of verse 23, Jesus adds this, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You see, our unity, even though we're a very diverse, a very different body of believers, our unity is supposed to draw the world to Christ, not repel them or cause the bride of Christ to be but to be the butt of jokes because people see the, the infighting and the bickering and the disunity which is all too common in many churches today. It should draw them, not repel them. Our unity in Jesus Christ that comes as we learn to live with one another in community. Learning to live in community means we learn to relate to one another in love, even when we have differing opinions and ideas. We need to learn to live and to love and to honor one another. And small groups of believers journeying through life together, that's the classroom where we learn how to do this, to put these things into practice. So, you know, if we, if we do these four things, these things that we see from the show, we're not going to be biggest losers. We're going to be the biggest winners. And by winning, I mean that we receive unspeakable blessings in our spiritual journey. And I know that to be true, that you will, speak, uh, that you will experience unspeakable blessing in your spiritual journey, first of all, because God's Word teaches it. And when the Bible teaches it and says it's true, we can take it to the bank that it's a reality. So God says we will be enriched. We will grow as a result of these relationships with other believers. But secondly, I know these things to be true because I've experienced it in my own journey. In being a part of a small group and living in community with other believers, I've experienced and seen these things firsthand. Living in community with other believers strengthens your walk with God. And it opens the floodgates for, for, for greater amounts of God's power and his presence and his blessings to flow into your life. Now, that's probably the longest sermon introduction I've ever delivered in my life. So that introduction being made, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. 
This is the passage we're going to study the next three weeks as we talk about living in community. And you're going to hear me say that word a lot, community, as in being in relationship and around and connecting uh, with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, living in community. In Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 41 here in just a moment. This passage is what is commonly referred to as the birth of the church. And as we look at verse 41, we're going to see what happened when Peter preached the first sermon after the Holy Spirit had descended and and fallen upon believers at Pentecost. Peter preached and he called the people to place their faith in Christ. And verse 41 says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now I'm going to tell you, at a preacher convention Word of 3,000 people giving their lives to Christ in a single day is going to turn some heads. All right, there's going to be some buzz about what is taken when 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized on that day. But this was nothing but a supernatural act of God. God moved in a way that, that only he can do in drawing these people to himself. I mean, you think about this. One of the first issues to deal with and think about is the fact that there are 3,000 people there who would even be able to hear Peter's message. They didn't have sound systems and microphones and, and voice magnification stuff. I mean, it's incredible to think that even 3,000 people could hear this message that Peter's preaching. Yet many heard and many responded on that day. And so they gave their lives to Christ and they were baptized. So Peter is clearly putting into practice the Great Commission where they're told to go. And so Peter went and he preached the gospel, the good news of Christ, and people responded. But there's a second command that's given in the Great Commission. Do you remember what that is? Go and make disciples. Make disciples. So you've got 3,000 who are baptized. The question now becomes... How are you going to disciple them? Because they didn't have big buildings and established churches where you can put massive groups of people together. So how are they going to disciple these people? And I'll tell you, I could spend the next 24 hours talking about discipleship strategies and methods that have come and gone over the last 2,000 years since these first 3,000 people were added to the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Because it was the first church and they were baptized, right? So there's where you have your first Baptist church that's there. Now, if you are not from a Baptist background and heritage, I'm just kidding, all right? That's a joke, all right? Well, that, that is not uh, why we consider ourselves Baptist and, and call the, use the name first so often. But we do have this issue of what are you going to do with these 3,000 people? How are you going to disciple them? And I want to tell you this. The truth of the matter is that we have so convoluted this idea of discipleship That we've pushed the Bible's teachings of community and fellowship almost out the door. And we've replaced it with activity, with information, and a three-step process that promises to give you the key for spiritual breakthrough and victory in your life. We've so simplified the process that we've negated some of the difficulties of living in community and fellowship with other believers. It's a pretty simple process and thought and idea, but it's kind of difficult sometimes to wrap your brains around and to invest yourself in. And, you know, frankly, I get a little put out and worked up over the fact that we've taken something so pure and simple and we've complicated it. And we've, we've so made it hard to understand that some people wouldn't know biblical community if it ran them over in the middle of the road. And it frustrates me 
That we take God's word and we add so much to it that on the back end of it, it doesn't look anything like what God clearly teaches in Scripture. And one of the things that the biggest loser contestants learn, and I say again, much of it is about learning, is they learn how to eat properly. You watch them go through that where they work on their diet and those things because what we eat has a tremendous impact on our physical health. So this morning, I want us to look at the community diet. What did these early believers, what did the disciples at the birth of the early church, this is the infancy of the church, what did they give them as spiritual food to nurture them and help them grow to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Because these things are very important for us if we're going to seek to live in community and walk with other believers in our spiritual journeys. Well, verse 42 says, they... Well, the they here are these 3,000 who have just been saved and baptized. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. These new converts under the leadership and the direction of the apostles who were under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit, who had just fallen upon them at Pentecost in a very powerful way, built four things into the lives of these new converts to help them lay a strong foundation for their journey and their new life in Christ. First, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, the apostles' teachings were the things that Jesus himself had taught them. The apostles were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and ministry. And they had been charged with teaching the things they had learned from Jesus to other people. So that's what they're doing. They're teaching what Jesus had taught them. But here's the real beauty, both of Jesus' ministry with the disciples, but also of the apostles' ministry to other people. It was more than simply information. It wasn't about just transfer of information. This is the lesson that Jesus taught. Did you get that? Can you pass the test? Okay, let's move on. The apostles had spent time with Jesus. They watched his lifestyle. They saw his interactions with people. They saw how Jesus put into practice his teachings. And that's what they invested in the lives of the people in small groups And we'll see that they met in people's homes. They met in these small groups. They taught the lessons. But then they talked about and they went out. And they put those lessons into practice. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus taught his disciples. And then he sent them out. And then they came back and they were all excited saying, Lord, you're not going to believe what's happened. And they told him all that had taken place. And Jesus rejoiced and celebrated. But also as they came back, they had questions. And they said, Lord, it didn't work like this. Or, or we experienced this. What should we have done in this situation? And they had questions. And Jesus gave them further instruction and teaching to help clarify his mission uh, and what he had called them to do. So the aim or the goal of living in biblical community with other believers is not merely for learning biblical truth and principles. It's also about journeying with other believers as they and you try to put those biblical principles and truths into practice in your own life. It's about living out what you learn. 
Now, for us today, the teaching of the apostles are written down in the Bible. We have God's word to teach us what God would have us to do, what God would have us to know. So a non-negotiable component of biblical community is the study of God's word. And John MacArthur has written, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, he says this, A believer should count it a wasted day when he does not learn something new from or is not more deeply enriched by the truth of God's word. He says, the church cannot operate on truth it is not taught. Believers cannot function on principles they have not learned. So yes, we need to learn. We need to understand. But it doesn't stop there. We put them into practice. That's why in the Great Commission about making disciples, Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It doesn't stop at teaching. It's teaching them to obey And living in community helps us put those things into practice. So the centrality of God's word and the pursuit of applying his word to our lives is what separates biblical community from simply being part of a social gathering. Let's face it, you can have deep, meaningful, fulfilling friendships with people in your bridge club, on your bowling team, or with people from your Zumba class. But studying and discussing God's word and then wrestling with the application of that word, not just in discussion, but in practice and with accountability to these brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what moves biblical community to a level that no other social group can ever even think about touching. It's what makes it different and distinct is the learning and applying God's word to our lives. And part of that living in community means being able to to speak the truth to people and speaking it in love even when those things are hard to say. We've gotten this crazy notion in our country that that if you love someone, you can't say anything to them that may hurt their feelings or, or may be difficult for them to hear. That's ridiculous. Where did we ever pick up that concept? I don't know. It's been introduced from Satan, I guess, because it's the most ludicrous thing in the world that, that we've ever heard of. Watch this little video clip right here. You'll see what I'm talking about put into practice. Well, I caught my wife with another man, and it cost me 99. In a prison farm on Georgia, close to the Florida line. When I grow up, I don't know the rest. Oh, oh by myself, don't wanna be all by myself anymore. Hard to be sure. Freedom run away. <laughs> right, swear on your mother's life, that was no joke. Yeah, I feel exhausted, so I feel like slipping into a, a warm bubble bath and just relaxing my thoughts. No deal. Um, and that, because during the... 
a profession to me. I drive a dump truck, so that's all I continue to do. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground, with the gold in your mouth, hat turned sideways, pants hit the ground, call yourself a cool cat, looking like a fool, walking downtown with your pants on the ground. You know, here's the deal. Those people need godly friends in their lives <laughs> who would look at them and say, I love you with all my heart. Don't do it. You know, if you want your two minutes of fame to be everybody in America laughing at you, then go for it. But if you really think you're going to be the next American Idol, it ain't going to happen. But if you, you all have seen some of those, and these people say, oh, yeah, you've heard them. My friends and my coworkers, they said I ought to be here. They said, I've got what it takes. I'm like, you need real friends. Because <laughs> they lied to you, and they're sitting at home, and they're laughing with tears, rolling their cheeks, going, I can't believe he went on there. It blows me away. We need truth sayers in our lives. People who will speak the difficult things to help us grow and mature and honor Christ in what we do. And keeping God's word central in our lives and in our relationships helps us speak that truth into people's lives with love and with mercy and compassion. But secondly, it says that these individuals gave themselves to the fellowship. And the word for fellowship in the Greek here is the word koinonia. And if you've been around church much, you may have heard that word koinonia. And it really doesn't have a, a necessarily a direct translation into English. And so we, so we most often call it fellowship. But really fellowship is a, is a church type word. You don't hear it a lot outside of Christian circles and in the church environment. So you say fellowship and people go, well, what is that? And fellowship has a really broad definition. And most of it depends on who you talk to and how they describe it. But the basic meaning of this word koinonia is that of a partnership or of sharing. And this partnership or sharing applies to every area of our lives. We are called to partner and to share with our brothers and sisters in Christ everything that we have. Not just parts, but everything that we have. Yet, what do we most often associate with fellowship? Food. That is exactly right. Food. If we have a meal together with another believer, we say, man, that was some sweet fellowship. Even though we didn't utter a single word or have a single sentence that discussed anything of a spiritual nature, we call it sweet fellowship. Well, maybe it was the apple pie that was sweet because we really didn't experience biblical fellowship. The meat, eat, burp, and go home is not in Scripture. It's not what the Bible teaches for biblical fellowship. Now, hear me clearly. I am not trying to devalue eating. All right, I like to eat. It is one of my favorite things in life to do. And I've had wonderful conversations and built many relationships and been encouraged by many Christian friends around a dinner table. But what I'm saying is we've so oversimplified and watered down the meaning of true biblical fellowship that we have accepted a cheap substitute and don't even know that we're missing the real thing. And it breaks my heart that we can't experience what God designed and what 
God wants for us because we're accepting a cheap substitute and don't know any better. It's like the story of the geese that grew up in the chicken yard. You've heard this, the geese that was, the goose that was raised as a chicken. He walked with the chickens and lived there in the yard and he would watch geese fly overhead all the time, back and forth to the lake, heading north and south for winter, hopefully north for summer here pretty soon, you know, that we're getting. But this goose would watch these things and see them going by going, huh, that'd be pretty cool, I guess. But he's living there in the chicken yard because he doesn't know that he could do it. He didn't learn. He didn't know any better. And that's, we so often settle for these cheap substitutes called fellowship. And when we shortchange biblical fellowship by simply equating it with a meal or some part of a social club or gathering or any, or any other substitute, we miss the fullness and the depth that comes from pursuing biblical community because biblical community is so much more than simply eating or being a part of a social group. But they devoted themselves to this partnership and this sharing of their lives. The third thing that the early believers built into their lives was the breaking of bread. And this refers to communion and the Lord's Supper. And the significance of this is it reminds us as believers that that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all equal in the eyes of God. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. My sins are no less significant than someone else's sins. My needs are not greater, therefore mine should be met above anyone else's. The foot of the cross is equal. And remembering and celebrating the Lord's Supper and communion reminds us all that that we're sinners saved by grace. Sinners in need of God's mercy and God's work in our lives. And therefore, if we see a need in the life of another person, we meet that need. And if we have a need, people would meet that need for us. And we experience that living in community. And we express and we display the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Well, the last thing that it says that they, these new believers committed themselves to was to prayer. And I've talked about prayer pretty extensively, so I'm not going to add a whole lot much uh, this morning. Other than to say there's, there is simply nothing like knowing that people are praying for you as you go through the ups and the downs of life. And as you experience the power of God that comes as a result of people praying for you. When you're caught up in a situation, whether it's a good situation, a promotion, things are really going well and celebrating a new life or whatever the case may be, or a bad situation, having the difficulties that we all struggle with, but you get that call, you get a voicemail from someone or a text message or an email that says, hey, I want you to know we're celebrating with you and what the Lord's doing in your life and how this is transpiring. Or we're praying for you. We know it's been a difficult day and a hard time. You can't even put into words the joy and the peace and the comfort and the, the, the refreshment and the encouragement that comes from those little simple contacts and knowing that people are praying and you respond back, you know, I can tell you are because it's just been amazing, the sense of peace and calm or the sense of joy that I've experienced through this journey. I can tell that you've been praying for me. It's an awesome thing to experience that. So as we wrap up this morning, kicking off this idea of the biggest winner and the community diet of building these things into our lives, you all can probably see where I'm going with this. The challenge for you this morning is to, first of all, 
experience and live and continue to walk in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do not forget that Acts chapter 2 comes after Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised that. In the beginning of Acts chapter 2, fire fell from heaven was the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling upon believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God living within us as God's children who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That was priority one. That is priority one for you today. If you have never given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and entered into a relationship and a journey with him, that's where it starts. That is the foundation. But from that, once we've trusted Christ, what did these believers do? They gathered together and they devoted themselves to these four things in community, in small groups, in people's homes, regularly gathering together to study God's word, to partner and share with one another in ministry, to have the Lord's Supper and communion and minister to one another, and to pray and seek God's will and direction for their lives. That's my challenge for you today. Do you have a relationship with Christ and that group of people that you gather together with to share your life and your journey, to grow in your faith and your understanding and in your knowledge of Christ, but also to help you put those things into practice. That's our invitation this morning. Come to Christ and connect with other believers. Walk with other believers in the fellowship that the Bible describes. And we're going to look at more in the next two weeks, but here's my challenge for you in a very specific way today, is for you to find a small group or to find a Sunday school class and to commit to attending four weeks in a row. Don't say, well, I went one time and it wasn't all that great. You know what? I hope this isn't your case, but you may have come to worship one Sunday out of five months and it wasn't that great. What happened? Well, a lot of things can happen in that. Maybe the issue was you. Maybe you had sin in your life. Maybe you didn't sleep well the night before or you shouldn't have had that Mexican food and you had heartburn or what. I don't know what your deal was. Why didn't you have a good worship experience that day? Maybe it was me. Maybe I had sin in my life or I had Mexican the night before and heartburn. I mean, I don't know. But a one-shot deal. How many of you have ever had a bad experience going shopping at a grocery store somewhere? Yeah, you didn't stop going, did you? All right, so it's life. It happens. So, so find a place, find a class that feels comfortable where you can connect and then give it some time. It takes a little bit of time to build some relationships and, and, and establish some rapport there. So, so find this place and get connected and spend four weeks in a row there. And you say, well, I've been to several, didn't work out. You know what? Maybe God's calling you to start a new one. Yeah. If you're not going to go, maybe you need to lead one. Sweet. See me. We'll talk. I got plans for you. We need this community. You need to walk with other believers. I told you before, I'm very, very serious about this principle. 
in your life and in my life to the point that uh, I'm not able to be in a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, but this upcoming week, uh, Shelly and I have been talking and praying with people, and we're beginning our home group. We have a a group that we meet together with outside of of Sunday morning uh, because obviously I'm not able to do that, but it's so important that we want to model. We we desire this. It's not that I want to model it and say, hey, look what we're doing. We want it in our lives, and so we're beginning that journey on our own. And I told you before, and I say it again this morning, and I close with this. If you've only got one hour a week to give on a Sunday morning, you go get in a Sunday school class, meet with a small group, and don't come to worship in here. Because you cannot get this fellowship, this relationship in this room with these people. Do you know everybody in this room right now? Look around. I don't, sorry. Still working on it. You don't either. We can't know. You can't replicate that community and fellowship in this setting, but you can go to Sunday school and experience that, and you can get a copy of the sermon and and all that. You you can do that elsewhere and listen to that through the week. It is that important in your life. And so I implore you, I challenge you this morning, I give you the dreaded triple dog dare to find that Sunday school class and small group, get connected, get plugged in, and see what God does.